My name's Jim Gladstone. I'm one of the members here. And I wonder uh, if you would just turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to pick up uh, just where Liam left off reading. So we're in Revelation chapter 5. That's page 1237 in the Pew Bible. And uh, let's read from verses 11 to 14. So Revelation chapter 5 verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Should we get the impression that things aren't just how they should be? Yesterday I sat in a little cafe I hadn't been in for months. I couldn't put my finger on it, but something was different. Had they set the tables out differently? Were there new pictures on the wall? And then one of the regulars came in and chatted to the, the girl behind the, the counter and complimented her on the new colour scheme. Apparently it had been painted. <laughs> I just I, I didn't want that one out. I just knew there was something different. Well, that's how I feel about this passage. There's there's something when I read it that was just a little bit different. Sure, it's a doxology. And we've been looking at doxologies once a month now for over a year. We know what they are. Doxologies are those little explosions of praise that occur in the text of the Bible every now and again. Uh, And they're always focused directly on God, giving him praise. Paul wrote to Timothy, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And I look at Revelation 5, and it has a doxology too. But when I look at verse 12, I see the focus is different. Worthy is the Lamb. And then I look at verse 13. And I'm okay when it starts because it says, To him who sits on the throne, and that's God, and to the Lamb. And I think, where did the Lamb come from? Is is heaven set in the country? Is it some rural idyll of uh, rolling fields and perpetual springtime? I don't think so. We kind of expect our doxologies of praise to focus on God alone. So, who's the Lamb? And if we can discover who the Lamb is, then why is this doxology written the way it is? Those are the two things I want to look at tonight. First things first. Lambs are really quite common in the Bible, but sadly for them, their appearances are often rather short-lived. You see, they're all too often sacrificial lambs. Even before the law of Moses was given, with all its ritual sacrifices and rules about lambs and what should happen to them, 
You may remember further back in Genesis 22, Abraham, in the midst of a family crisis and a faith crisis, was intent on doing something. Sacrificing a lamb. Actually, a lamb he didn't have, which was the root of the crisis, but that's another story. You recall in that story that when his son Isaac asked him, Dad, where's the lamb? Abraham promised that God himself would provide the lamb. Well, let's remember that whether it's ritual sacrifices in the laws of Moses or Abraham's promise from an earlier age, what we read in the Old Testament always points to the new. God himself will provide the lamb. So for the identity of the lamb, come with me to John's gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and that's on page 1064 in the Pew Bible. This John who wrote the Gospel is the same John who wrote Revelation, and in chapter 1 he introduces us to a different John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a kind of forerunner of Christ. He he ministered in the days leading up to to Christ's public ministry. And on one particular day, he looks up. He sees Jesus walking towards him. And you can read this in verse 29. He looks at him and he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So who is the Lamb? It's none other than Jesus the Son of God, seen by John the Baptist and recorded in John's Gospel, seen by John the Apostle, recorded again in Revelation. This self-same Jesus whom John went on to write about in his Gospel, telling how he died, was buried, and rose again. This is the same Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, endured the cross scorned its shame and do you remember the quote sat down at the right hand of God which is just exactly where we find him in Revelation chapter 5 who is the lamb Jesus is the lamb so having uncovered the identity of the lamb why is this doxology in Revelation 5 written as it is Look at the scene. I'm going to pick up on verse 13. Verse 12 does that wonderful revelation-y thing of having seven things in it, but we've only got ten minutes, so we'll skip past. Look at verse 13. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them are singing. This vision reminds us that not only will all creation bow before the throne of God above. But specifically it reminds us we're going to be part of that. So let's consider what's happening there. And in order to apply it to ourselves, let's ask what our part might be then and now. In verse 13, God the Father and Jesus the Lamb receive praise and honor and glory and power. So let's just look at those in turn. 
praise because this Lamb of God is the Son of God, equally due praise with God the Father. Remember John the Baptist's phrase? Taking away the sin of the world could not be done by anyone less than God's own Son himself. No one else was worthy. No one else was capable. No one else was perfect to do that. Now, we'll have a wonderful opportunity to praise Him in heaven. And more than that, our presence in heaven itself will bring Him praise because He's brought us there. But ought not our lives here on earth also to be engaged in praising Him? Question. What do we need to change in our lives to make that happen more and more? that he is praised by what we do and who we are. Then there's honor and glory. Well, we can do no better to pick up on honor and glory than to look back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Yeah, he became a man. Now, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? He's tasted death for everyone. Question. Do we honor him for his sacrifice? Can we say that the way we live our lives, the way we present ourselves, honors Jesus? Do we demonstrate that he is Lord of our lives? I trust that we do. Don't just leave honor for when you get to heaven. It's right and proper there, but it needs to be part of what we do and part of how we live our lives today. So question, in what new ways do you or do I need to honor him? Now, honor, perhaps we can understand, but glory? How can we bid more glory onto God? After all, glory just describes him, doesn't it? You had to find just one word to describe God. Glorious would kind of do it. How can we as mortal, sinful beings give glory to God? Give glory to the Lamb of God? We can want it. We can desire it. But how can we bring it about? Well, certainly, gathering in heaven, um, our place made secure by Christ, our very presence there, that will bring Him glory. But how can we give glory to God and to the Lamb now? There's a carol we sing at Christmas. It has the words in it, Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. I want to suggest to you that that's how we might give him glory. By giving him space to live in our hearts. By getting up off the throne of our own hearts and walking away. And letting him set up his throne in our hearts 
to bring his glorious presence and his lordship to bear on our lives. Will you do that? Have you done that? Will you continue to do that day after day? So there's praise and there's honor and there's glory, but also power. Why is it appropriate that power be given to him? Well, of course, again, no more power can be given to him because he is God. He is already all-powerful. But all the creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth cry out, ascribing power to him, declaring him to be all-powerful, declaring him to be God, no less. Declaring that his power is so complete that sin which would, which would have the ultimate power over us has been defeated once and for all. The sin of the world has been taken away. Have you ever considered that when you live your life as a forgiven person, freed from the mastery of sin, you are declaring the power of God? Finally, look back at the scene. A scene where the entire created order cries out in praise to God the Father as he sits on his throne. Cries out in praise to the triumphant Lamb of God, Jesus' Son, returned to heaven and seated, having defeated sin, having accomplished his mission to take away the sin of the world. Is it any wonder then that we read in verse 14 of the response of the elders. They fell down and worshipped. And so, my friends, shall we.